Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Uh, But yeah, I think now, super excited to hear from Tim. Thanks, Uh, Robbie. Yeah, take the floor, sir. Cool. Thank you. Excited. Thanks for being out here. The adults are away today. The Shaws are not here. The kids are running the house. Uh, thanks, Amanda and Angus, for leading us in worship so well. Thanks, Robbie, for hosting. Victor, for doing slides. Billy, for blessing our moms and our women. Uh, Shiona, thanks for the frittatas. Those are awesome. Those were very good. Yeah. If you want to know the way to my heart, my love language is food. So, thank you. Um, well, uh, yeah, I mentioned um, the, the adults are away. Uh, so, we're actually going to do things a little bit differently. Um, I'm not going to be giving a sermon uh, or a teaching as much as leading a discussion. Uh, and so, hope you're ready to get to work, dive in. Uh, this is one of the benefits of being in house church, right, is we can have some dialogue together. Um, I have done some homework. I'm not, like, coming completely unprepared, don't worry. Uh, I've studied uh, the Texas to the best of my ability, read a lot of commentaries, listened to other preachers. So hopefully I can guide us. This, I think this is a fascinating text. Um, but just wanted to kind of prepare expectations. Hopefully we'll all be able to come together and really learn from each other um, and see what God is speaking to you individually and maybe to us collectively through the text today. Um, so we're in a series called Just Jesus, Eyes on Jesus in a Time of Deconstruction and Disappointment. Uh, looking through Mark, um, just at Jesus and coming back to the character of who he really is, because he's very surprising. He's constantly perplexing those around him. He's not really acting as you would expect and maybe even a little differently than we you know, our childhood stories, um, that we, what we glean from our childhood stories would, uh, would cause us to think in our heads. So we're looking, we're going straight to the text, looking, actually, who is this character of Jesus? What does he have to say to us at this crazy time in history in San Francisco Sanctuary Church? So um, if you've been following along at home, as we've been going around um, so far, we've just made it through Mark chapter 1. So we've gotten through one chapter so far. And uh, yeah, uh, but, but basically what's happened so far is resounding success. Like everything has gone Jesus' way. If you are a disciple of Jesus, I mean, you are riding the high. Everything's going up and to the right. Like you're hitting your quarterly metrics. Your KPIs are off the charts. Your OKRs are all on track. Like... Everything is going great uh, if you're a disciple of Jesus. Like, they're attracting crowds. Everything is going well. And Mark 2 actually provides a a shift for the very first time. Not a huge conflict, but the introduction of something that doesn't go so well or some conflict. 
uh, into the story. And this is actually a theme um, that carries out through the entire chapter of Mark 2. Um, so with that kind of intro, I want to ask for, and I've already, already kind of prepped you, we're going we're gonna to have to like get active and vocal here and all come together. Um, but we are going to be studying, um, man, that is a huge plane, sorry. <laughs> uh, we are going to be uh, studying scripture and um, like pretty, pretty intensely. So if, if you're the type of person that like would love like a physical Bible to actually read the story, I've got several here out, different translations. Feel free to grab one. If you want to pull it up on your phone, you can. We'll have it on the screen, but we can't get it all on one screen, so... If you want to see the whole story as you're kind of digging in, um, what I would love to do is have um, one person volunteer to read this story in the NIV. Um, and then um, maybe I would love one person to summarize it in their own words after it's been read. So I know that takes a little bit of extra courage. I haven't prepped anyone. Is anyone willing to fulfill the task of reading? Scripture. Angus can read it. Is anyone willing to go even further and summarize it, tell the story in their own words of what happened? Who said sure? George? You want to do it? Okay. So great. So uh, Angus will read it. NIV, it'll be on your screen. You can follow along, but pay attention to what's going on. And then uh, George, you can... um, you can, you can recount it in your own words. Take it away, Angus. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blasphemed. You can forgive sins but God alone. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit, that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of the mall. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Nice. Awesome. So George, yeah. Well, I guess what stood out to me is the part about forgiving sins. He's all powerful. If you don't mind, before you even go there, can you just, like, retell the story? Like, what? Retell the story. Yeah, in your own words. Yes. And and there's like it's like packed. The house is packed, and it's probably stuffy and hot, and um, maybe like you know they're gathered, 
mm -hmm. together for their miracle. But um, and he's healing people, but he, he chooses to focus on the, the sin issue. That it's easier to mm. say your sins are forgiven, and it's more important to tell them that your sins are forgiven. And yes, they're going to get healed because of their faith. But like, uh, I mean, someone's heart was uh, cleansed after feeling pride Nice. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, George. Any other details stood out to you in the story itself? Just. I don't know. I've never like seen a packed house and been like, let's break the roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's different. Um, when I was reading, there was different commentaries would say different things about the roof like some people think it was actually like a pretty big deal to like grow or other people think you know it's probably just removing some some like thatch or something that was laid on um but everyone pretty much uh agreed that it was a packed house it's probably not bigger than this room um you know you know there was probably at most 50 people could fit into this house packed it was, so there was standing room outside only and then all of a sudden, I mean, imagine right now, like if someone like came through the room as you're, as you're teaching. Um, yeah, incredible. What other, what other details stood out? It to me stands out that they put all this effort to get this man healed. But then what God was forgiven of sins. Like, hey, I mean, this, this wasn't what we were coming from for. Right? Mm. So it would like make a hole or whatever, about how God is 
more concerned about the spiritual state of a person and like the eternal like state of a person. And um, we also see that like in the previous passage, he touches the leper, but here he says, "Get up and walk," and it just shows his authority. Oh, and, interesting. Like, he chooses how he wants to heal a person. Like he said it through words. Sometimes he's like just said, "Get up and walk," or like touch. But it's, it's super cool to see how like. Just his authority and how, like, he's God and he has the ability to heal both spiritual and physical state. Yes, it's huge. He also is like, after that, he's saying, like, the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, and it like lists out the things they were questioning, but they weren't, it, like, they weren't saying those out loud. So Jesus was like, not only are your sins forgiven, but I can read your mind. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing. I was thinking about that. Like I went and picked up, got some coffee beans for this morning. And I was just thinking about like, what if like the guy behind the coffee counter, like he didn't, but what if I thought he had like a really tacky shirt on? And I was like, and then just as I was ordering the coffee, he looked at me, why are you hitting on my shirt? You know, <laughs> he's like... <laughs> Like, what? It doesn't say that he, they were talking out loud. It's just Jesus kind of identified that. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. I was noticing, too, I mean, they're, they're sitting there. So they're in the room. They got probably got prime spots. And, you know, it's one of the reasons this guy couldn't make it into the room in the first place. So it was just kind of like, Jesus, they're kind of in the way of this person getting healed. It's, yeah, it's just an interesting thought. Yes. That's really This is good stuff. Every, I mean, yeah, you're, you're picking up on a lot. This is great. Anything else that stands out to you? I was thinking about the owner of the house and how, like, <laughs> I, was kind of, I was kind of thinking about myself. Like, are there times when I'm, like, happy to, like, facilitate something, but, like, then the the ministry of Jesus actually like is an imposition to maybe something of mine, like my personal belongings or like it cost me something, you know, more than what I was originally willing to like. I just wondered if they were maybe like grinding their teeth, like what the heck, like someone's pulling the roof off my house, you know, maybe they're like maybe a bit frustrated about that. But Jesus didn't like seem to, at least in that moment, be bothered by it. Yes. Even though, you know, it's not his house, it's someone else's house. <laughs> That's getting tore up because there's a big crowd here, and I was like, oh. I feel like there's more to reflect on with that thought, but yeah. I do feel like it's like another time that we're shown that like Jesus is just sort of like on his own level, like his own pace, like he had his own thing going on. Yeah. Like I mean, like Victor pointed out, like the first thing he's like, he's like, okay, well, actually, what needs to happen is like your sins need to be forgiven, and like they were probably like. Okay, but, like, what about healing? <laughs> I mean, like, sure, fine, we can do that as well. It's not important in in comparison. And then, like, I also think, like, they came to the ceiling, and, and he was just thinking, like, yeah, that's, like, I mean, that's a small price to pay for, like, your sins to be forgiven. Like, he, I think he was probably, like, unfazed. Jesus was just kind of, like, knew what needed to happen, and didn't really matter if that fit what other people thought it should look like. 
Yeah, like does the faith because he I think he says like because of the faith he saw the faith of the of the friends, right? Oh yeah. Versus the faith of the person, but like connecting the previous thought to that, like, is there ever a case when like I'm frustrated at other people's faith because it's like an imposition to me? Ooh. I don't know. It's just like an interesting question. Mm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a, yeah, like totally. Yeah, no, that's huge. It's and it is interesting. You're hitting on something. The the commentaries are a little split. There, I mean, it does say a few days later when Jesus entered Capernaum, which is his home base. He has moved from Nazareth to Capernaum or Capernaum, however you say it. Um, the people heard that he had come where home, and so. Um, some people think that this is actually Jesus' house. Um, I, was, I thought it was Peter's house. A, a lot of commentators... Yes, and, and then a lot... But most commentators would say it was probably Peter's or Simon and Andrew's house um, that you know, Jesus is staying there. So it is still kind of his home. Like, that's his... He's just, you know... He's, Jesus is single, so he's probably staying at the family home. But that either way... It's actually like almost more to your point what you're saying, Billy. It's like not just someone else. It's actually putting Jesus and his closest friends out, like just yeah. cutting a hole in, in his roof. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. N.T. Wright actually thinks that there may be an association. I don't think I, I, I don't think I interpret it this way, but that when, when Jesus says your f- sins are forgiven, he, he actually thinks he may be uh, commenting about like cutting cutting the hole for the roof. <laughs> well, I forgive you for that. No, <laughs> now let me heal you. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there's more going on there, but I thought that was fascinating. Anything else you picked up on? I like how he says son. Yes. It goes back to that Jesus was baptized and the voice said this is my son so there's that sense of identity of, of saying you know your family you, um, you know and I you know looking out for you like father yeah yeah if you actually look I'm told I can't read the original language but I'm told that that son there is pretty unique in in scripture and certainly in Jesus, it, it can be translated like little boy, um, like pretty affectionately, almost like I, I get like the spirit when Paul writes in Romans about us crying out, Abba, Father, like that same kind of intimacy. And so looking at at the paralyzed man and, and saying little boy, like like almost like he would call his own son, which is you know, adds more to it for sure. Yeah. I think what strikes me is the, that they had meant to listen to the word be taught. And when that was interrupted with an opportunity to do some like physical ministry, that wasn't seen as like an interruption, but it was embraced as like, yes, this is of course more important despite what all of these like Pharisees might think, like 
they might be offended at the way that like they, someone interrupted expecting like something like a more tangible ministry um, and Jesus was like doesn't even blink an eye and it's just like yeah obviously this is important and I don't know I think that speaks volumes to like the actions that are expected of us as followers of Christ <clears throat> and not to just get like caught up in head knowledge exclusively um, but to like act and embrace the interruptions yeah you you kind of made a point you ended that with embrace the interruptions and Billy and Robbie were kind of making the point earlier about um, you know does someone else's faith interrupt your <laughs> the way that you are living or does it impose on you I think Joni you you mentioned a comment too I was just reminded if you were here last week connecting it back to what happened immediately prior does anyone remember what kind of the theme that Tom was talking about, what happened to Jesus at the end of Mark chapter one that leads right into the story. I think there's a connection there. Basically it became like super famous. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. He, couldn't, he couldn't be alone. Like, it was like really hard to be alone. It was really hard to be alone. He became super famous. Everyone was coming at him. He had healed um, the uh, man with leprosy, the leper. And he went around and told everyone, um, and, and then everyone started coming, and he was frustrated. He said, in one translation, indignant, uh, because he didn't follow his, his, what he wanted, and it said he had to be only in the lonely places. And then he, here you find him. He would return to his own home, and everyone found him. It said it was reported that he was at home. And not only, like, is there no, no even room in the house, people are cutting down the you know, roof to get to him. Like, that's the environment. And then, in the midst of that, what you said, Tanner, like, he's still, and, and you, Billy, like, he's still eager to heal when presented with the opportunity. Like, it's not, it's, it's not an imposition on him, you know. He's, he's eager to do that, yeah. Like, throughout, there's, like, so many examples So we're presented with a couple of different sets of characters here. We're presented with the paralyzed man, the paralytic, and his friends. We're presented, on one hand, we're presented with the crowd, on the other hand. And then we're presented with the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, there may be in there something in the, in the crowd, but and particularly if you pull out the, the paralytic and his friends... And what it says about the scribes and the Pharisees, um, I think, I think Mark is contrasting these two groups a little bit. What do you notice about how Mark's presenting 
these two groups of people. The scribes and Pharisees seem to be on the inside. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I don't know how else to say it. They're like, I think someone said it before they have, like, I mean, they're actually in the house. Yes. They've got in, like, their place of kind of social, like, place. Yes. Is higher. They're physically in, they're close to close to Jesus physically and then the the others are outside of the room but barging in (laughs) yeah it's interesting anything else you notice about the text Yeah, almost in the same way that Jesus inferred somehow from the Pharisees their cynicism or questioning, like it doesn't actually say they were talking, you just noticed, you could decipher their hearts. Almost in the same way, doesn't it? He deciphers the hearts of the group of friends. And he saw, someone said it really interesting, he saw their faith. And that was the reason you, the paralytic, were healed. You also see, I thought it was interesting, that scribes were sitting. Kind of what you were saying, they're inside, but they're sitting. Uh, They're motionless. Uh, Almost you get the sense of, like, I shall not be moved. (laughs) You know? And you see the friends are taking action. They're, like, they're moving towards Jesus physically. I just think that's interesting. I don't don't know if that would... That's... um, just random by Mark. I think he's presenting to two different uh, groups of people here. Um, cool. What it, so how, looking at this passage in a whole, uh, two questions, but we'll start with, is, what does this say? How can, what can you infer about God and Jesus from this? And then we'll get to what can we infer about us, me, or people from this passage. But first of all, what does this passage teach us about God or Jesus? He can forgive sins. He can forgive sins. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts. Mm. Fascinating. Interruptible. I love that. He's incredibly gracious. I feel like if I were home for the first time (laughs) and all these people came to my house, I'd be like, go away. (laughs) Yes, it's gracious. I feel like super patient, too, because thinking that he can even, like, know people's thoughts. And so he's surrounded by all these Pharisees that are constantly judging him or trying to catch him doing something that's wrong. So he's followed by all these people that really want him and love him, but others that do, really do hate him. Mm. And then, you know, that, like, I was just 
reading again his response. And although I cannot really know like the tune of like how he said it, but like when he said, why are you thinking these things? Like I'm picturing him saying in a very calm way. So even like, I think that's how God and Jesus like treats us or when we're recharging or when we're like in a low moment. I can hear like his soothing voice. Mm. Yeah. I really get a sense of Jesus' authority. His authority? Yeah, just the way he's like so in control yeah. of the whole situation and everything that's happening. Yes. He's just completely unfazed. Yes. That's like the composure and also just like the power to, to do as well. Yes. Totally. There's a sense in which, like, you feel like the scene could happen in, like, eight seconds. <laughs> you know, like, throws the roof, sins are forgiven. Well, why are you questioning? Like, which, what is easier? All right, fine, get up and walk. And it was like, <laughs> like, you didn't have to think about it. You know, it was just like, you know, which, which, I think to your point, his authority and just his composure and his compassion and brilliance like all like just naturally come out of him at, at once yeah we haven't really talked about this but we have the and he, he twisted he points people to glorify god um after this happens they were all amazed and glorified god saying we never saw anything like this it doesn't say they glorified jesus um mm. This is fantastic. Uh, so much that's being pulled out that I hadn't even thought about. Um, any? Let's turn the question. Uh, how? What does this teach about us? Me? Personalize it, or people in general, or us collectively? What can we learn from this passage? I like how I've been reading this passage many times, and uh, I always picture like the scribes and everything like the, the bad guys, you know, because they become the bad guys in the end of the story. But at that point, they have a valid thinking, you know, a valid statement. Like they, they're, they're uh, putting yes. the experiences through the lens of the world, mm-hmm. and they are having a valid yeah. So the, the way Jesus responds to them is by, by by not like um, being against them, but by showing them mm. a new reality, right? a reality that they were not getting because they didn't have the, the whole information, or the whole context. So, kind of applying it to when we are being judgmental with, but using the word of God, you know, and uh, and that's a valid thing to do, but. How there are many times it's like yes that's that's what the Lord says that's how you should see that sin but this is how I turn that thing around right and this is how I'm working on that thing so mm. it's like you're okay 
by thinking that's a bad thing, but uh, the Lord has a plan for that, and it's ruining things or not. Right? So, like in that, in that sense, it's like, oh, wow, this guy that I don't know who it is is saying, your sins are forgiven. That's, a, that's blasphemy. But then he's like, no, I'm going to explain to you why in this precise case that is not blasphemy. Mm. Because I am God. So I am being very aware of how many times I can be judgmental. Mm -hmm. Be really careful. Um, <laughs> let, let's see what God does. Yes. Yes. That's a great point. I mean, they're not wrong, are they? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Yeah. It's, it's interesting thing because this comes after a lot of healings. And so what about the question, who can heal diseases but God alone? And that kind of was the basis for people listening to the word. So, so the, these teachers of the law have the word, and they, so they understand that oh, only God can be doing this. Um, but what they don't have is what the men who lowered the paralytic had, and that's faith. So they had faith in what Jesus could do and his connection with the Father. Um, and so I think that's important for us to realize is that we can have the Word, we can study the Word, um, but if we don't have the gift of faith and the Spirit guiding us with that, then, then we're going to still be paralyzed. Yeah. It's huge. That's like an interesting point as well. Like to, I, like symbolically, you had pointed out that the, the Pharisees and the scribes were sitting, and they remain sitting at the end of the story, but everyone else is like, no longer paralyzed. Like you could think of like like the paralytic would have been like, laying there, like motionless, and like they remain motionless. Everyone else in the story is like active and moving, like no longer paralyzed. Super, I think, super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and kind of to apply that, it's like, how often does my faith call me to action versus like kind of sitting around waiting for something to happen versus mm -hmm. not that I have to be like extreme, with it, but mm -hmm. if we kind of actually have. To the action rather than the sitting when it comes to faith, what would that actually look like in their life? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, maybe that's coming to mind. If I like zoom out and think of the, I think you said it, they're like the Pharisees, they're not like the enemies necessarily yeah. in the story yet. Mm. But I was finding myself actually met, like thinking about you as like a Messianic Jew, I was thinking about just Jews in general like their paradigm is that like sins sins get covered over right. not forgiven right and like right. jesus is bringing a whole new thing huh. like for them you don't they don't it's not something that gets forgiven you continually go through a sacrifice and good point billy good point and you also have to remember that the problem with the jews and matthew are to the president they were thinking that the promised prophesied Messiah would be a conquering hero yeah. mm -hmm. to deliver them from their enemies, in this case the Romans. Yeah. They were not thinking, we're sinners who first need a savior, humble Ooh. servant yeah. of yes. Nazareth, the town everyone hates, like low class, 
born in a stable, going to die on a cross in, you know, utter humility. They, they weren't thinking that way. So yes. it, it, it's sort of a buildup in the gospel is, is how Jesus is revealing yes. what, not just that he's the Messiah, but what the Messiah is and is going to be. His own disciples couldn't believe that he was mm -hmm. really going to die, right? Yeah. Until he resurrected it, and they thought, oh, yes. now we get it, right? But the Messiah had to fulfill the law of Moses. I mean, the law of Moses, nobody could fulfill it except the Messiah. Not one jot or tittle would be mm. changed. That's, you know, the Hebrew little punctuations on the words. And, you know, Jesus had to always, you know, show the Jews and the Pharisees who were the letter of the law rabbis really legalistic, like very legalistic uh, ministers, or, you know, today, or mm -hmm. any religion, like fundamental, very legalistic. He had to show them he was fulfilling the law, but if he's the Messiah, he's yeah. also going to be breaking some rules and doing some things differently, and yeah, not just covering over sins. He's going to become the ultimate government once and for all, no more animal. It's major. Yeah. It's major. Quite ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, that's really good. Great observations, Like, I think all that being said, like, the thing that was striking me was, like, how I often, like, think of the Pharisees as, like, these enemies. But, like, actually, like, I was finding myself having some compassion. Like, like if I'm grafted into this, like, chosen people of God as a Gentile through Jesus, like, and to this day, many Jews like don't know Jesus and are actually that enemy, just like I was an enemy before. I was like, oh man, like actually I want the Jews to like know him because I was an enemy too, you know? It was funny, right, you know, my family, but yeah. unsaved family. But um, yeah. the Pharisees also were, um, uh, you know, they're trying to preserve Judaism yes. in the middle of paganism and yes. you know, how pagan the Romans were. So as legalistic as they may have been, they're part of the process for so many years that preserved Judaism because if they hadn't preserved it, Jesus wouldn't have been yeah. born. Yeah. He had to be born through that ethnic group, you know, through that group. So he had to stay alive and so that's why they made it not so you look like a Paul who has like such zeal as like yeah. a Jew, but then like comes to know Jesus and like carries that zeal into being in the safe, it's like, oh man, what if we could ignore it? I mean, the dietary about. laws yeah. that, that went on for eons, if you kind of scientifically analyze it, it kept Jewish people alive at times when they might have been, you know, died off from diseases, yeah. from the foods and the things around them. It, Jesus had to be born, so they yeah. had to, at the least. It is interesting, though. Um, the Pharisees, as we were pointing out, were looking at Jesus through a critical eye. They're expecting things from him that he didn't necessarily present. But honestly, the friends also, it's kind of a continuation from what Tom was teaching last week. They were looking for some, what Jesus could do for them. He were looking for healing, not really a forgiveness of sins, as was pointing out earlier. Uh, and I think this gives us a huge humility, right? I mean... Scripture teaches that faith is a gift. We can't earn it. We can't be smart enough for it. We can't jump through enough hoops. We can't live a moral enough life for it, right? And I think this story teaches us like huge humility and huge gratitude. 
Um, because like you were saying, Billy, like, and, and Victor, like the Pharisees themselves were, you have a lot of compassion for them because what they said was not wrong. They were actually interpreting, you know, looking through grid. It was just, um, you know, for whatever reason. It's not even, if you're the paralytic, it wasn't even his faith. It was their friend's faith, you know? It's like, he has nothing to, oh, you know, um, he, he didn't do anything to receive this gift. And so, and this forgiveness, this gift. So I think it provides us with a ton of humility and it kills any sort of pride of saying, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm one of God's, I'm, you know, and it kills any like sense of condemnation or, or superiority looking at else, others that aren't in there, you know, among this. I'm going to um, just switch gears a little bit. I did just a few closing thoughts. Um, and yeah, if you can go to this slide on um, on the story. I think as been, a lot of this has been pointed out in different forms already, but I think as I read this and as I reflect on it, this is Mark upping the ante on healing. <laughs> this is Mark, John Mark, showing us, like, he's, he's already presented us Jesus healing, but actually there's, there's a, even more going on, and I think he shows us the extent, the desire, and the cost of Jesus' healing. Um, as someone pointed out, you know, when the paralyzed man came and his friends lowered him down, he was expecting healing, and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And I think it may have been a little letdown at first, right? I mean, you know, if you're really struggling with something and you're, like, seeking out doctors and you take a, f- a flight across the country to go see this really specialized doctor, and you go in and the doctor comes in and says, your sins are forgiven. All right, I'm done. <laughs> you're like, wait, I flew all this way just to get healed. Not, um, But I think what Jesus is showing is that his healing is actually much greater, much more comprehensive um, than we want necessarily, than we know we need. Um, And I think what he's saying actually is you think you've got a problem, you've come to me for something, but but actually I'm, I'm going to address a much deeper problem. And I just thought about it for me, like what if God gave you, Jesus gave you right now, the thing you want most. I mean, if you're this paralyzed man, I don't, it, I'm guessing he's had this condition for a long time, maybe his whole life, I don't, I don't know. Like he has dreamed of being, of having this thing, of having this condition removed. And like, if you imagine like what at the core of your heart that you want, and what if you got it? <laughs> um, and I think Jesus is lovingly saying, actually, likely that core thing that you want is, n- is not ultimately what you need. <laughs> you know, like, actually, I was actually um, taking a, a walk with, with Tom. And I was like, I feel like so stereotypical because I, I just got this great promotion at work at the beginning of the year. It's the first time ever that, like, we're not putting out massive fires. Things are going pretty well at work. And I was walking with Tom and I was like, you know, like, like I still feel like I'm not like totally content in life. Like there's things that I I still feel like I'm just me, you know, like, and actually I realized that it's kind of, it's so stereotypical, but I'm working at these things. I've been like, I've got the, the position that I've wanted, like everything in my work world is like going well. And still 
I'm still Tim. <laughs> you know, like I've still got my issues. Like I still don't feel content like I wanted to. And I, I just realized I would never would have said that this position or job success would have gotten me. Um, you know, that's so cliche. But yet I felt it, you know. And it's, I think Jesus in here is actually saying, you want healing for this thing. You want this one thing. You're coming to me because of what I can give to you. But actually, I'm here to do a much, much deeper work. Um, and when I was listening to Tim Keller on this, he brought up the story from C.S. Lewis, Lewis's um, book, In the Voyage of the Dawn Dreader. Um, there's this character named Eustace, if you remember. And he uh, turned into a dragon. He was an ugly, he was a kind of mean guy. And you know, he turned into a dragon and he couldn't get out. And this is what it says. Um, he was trying to fix himself. And then all of a sudden, Aslan showed up. The lion showed up. And this is what he says. But the lion told me, and this is Eustace talking. The lion told me I must first undress. I must undress first. So I started scratching myself and my scales began coming off all over the place. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Then the lion said, but I don't know if it spoke. You'll have to let me undress you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back and let him do it. The first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling off the skin, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off of a sore place, it hurts like Billy. Oh, but it is such fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only it hadn't hurt. But there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, as smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I'd ever been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found all that pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. And I think that's a great story of like, actually, we think we want this thing. We want to manage things, but Jesus wants to go much deeper. In this story, He's showing it's more than just the healing. He wants to give us whole healing, comprehensive healing. So I think that shows the extent. Second has been hit on a lot, the desire. It was their faith, not his faith, which nowhere else in scripture is there any like precedent for other people's faith saving someone. He didn't profess any repentance. <laughs> like It's kind of actually a head-scratcher, a theological head-scratcher in this whole thing of like, how did this guy receive repentance or receive, you know, forgiveness of sins. And yet you see like Jesus's heart to heal. Like he just wants to heal. He like, he wasn't disturbed that he was interrupted. He wasn't disturbed that someone cut a hole in his roof. Like he just wanted to honor and he saw into their hearts. He saw their motives. Um, that book that is available if you want um, by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly, 
got a couple of quotes I pulled out just to highlight this. It says, the cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with, with the flow of his own deepest wishes, not against them. It is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. I just love that heart of Jesus. Um, wanting to heal, wanting to come. They didn't do it perfectly. They probably wanted healing more than, they didn't want forgiveness. And yet Jesus was so, like, when we come to Jesus, we don't have to do it perfectly. Like, it gives us tremendous latitude. I think he just, are we moving towards him? Are we pursuing him? And then the, the last point um, is uh, not the, just the extent of his healing or his desire to heal, but actually the cost of him healing. This is the first time, and, and actually the next four stories, the Pharisees are going to ask him a question like they did at the end of this one, and they get a little bit more cynical, a little more skeptical along the way. Um, this is the first time that I think the shadow of the cross extends over the story of Jesus. We actually, it's a foreshadowing, because while the scribes are not his enemies yet, like this is the this is the moment, this is the beginning where, you know, by, by the next chapter, they say they want to destroy him. Um, this, this is where it all germinates. Um, and I think it's so interesting if you look in, um, in the scripture, um, he asks, you know, they challenge him. He asks, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and take up your bed? And I actually struggled with this question. I didn't know what that meant, um, which, which is easier. I don't, you know. There's one sense in which it's saying anyone can say your sins are forgiven. So I'm going to show you, and not everyone can heal. So I'm going to demonstrate my power. There's, you know, that, I think that's the, like, face reading of it. But actually, if you look at the word say, it's not just words. It actually means affecting that, like, which is easier to do. Um, which is easier to do? To heal sins or like forgive sins or to heal? And I think actually it's much more difficult um, to forgive sins. If Billy walks in this room and slugs and knocks out Victor. <laughs> and then I go to Billy. I, I go to Billy and say, Billy, I forgive you. Like, Victor's going to be like, uh, <laughs> you, don't, you don't get to forgive him. Like, that's my job. And so what Jesus is saying here is actually, like, all sins are ultimately against me. Like, your sinfulness is against me. And I think when Jesus decided to go forward with healing, I mean, he's looking out at people that, are wanting him for what he can do for them. And he's looking at these scribes that later will want to kill him. And I think there's a sense in which he knew that if he heals this man, it's going to lead to events that lead to his death. 
uh, to actually say get up and rise, which actually that word rise, the next time it's used in Mark is when Jesus rose. To say, look at, when, he, when he's told that paralytic man, get up and rise, he knew that he was going to have to actually get down in the grave. When, his, when he tells his feet to get up and walk, that means Jesus' feet were going to have to be nailed stationary to a cross. And I think in this moment, we already see the love of Jesus knowing what it was going to cost him, and he chose to heal anyway. Um, what a thing, <laughs> right? What a thing. Um, last quote, and then um, we'll take communion. Just struck, ultimately struck by Jesus and how perfect he is. <laughs> this quote, um, I don't know who wrote it, but it's always struck me. The accounts of Jesus in the New Testament speak for themselves. He combines the qualities that no one has ever seen. Despite his incredible claims, we never see him pompous or offended or standing on his own dignity. Despite being absolutely approachable to the weakest and most broken people, he is completely fearless before the powerful and corrupt. Despite being profoundly human and becoming weary and lonely and moving to joy and love and anger, yet we never see him moody. We never see him inconsistent. We never see him strong where he should be tender or tender where he should be strong. Most interesting of all, in the accounts of his dealing with people, he is continually surprising us, shocking us, yet never disappointing us. It is difficult to imagine the word Jesus ought to have said or the deed he ought to have done. Nothing he does falls short. In fact, he is always surprising and taking your breath away because he is incomparably better than you can imagine for yourself. Why? These are the surprises of perfection. He is tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, humility without the slightest lack of confidence, unhesitating authority with a complete lack of self-absorption. Holiness and unbending convictions without the slightest lack of approachability, power without insensitivity, passion without prejudice. There is never a false step. There is, a never, there is never a jarring note. This is life at the highest. I love that quote. <laughs> I love Jesus. And I think the story just encapsulates all of that perfectly. Tender to the weak, strong. He's got authority, and yet he doesn't use that authority and the power on himself. He chooses to heal, even when he knows it's going to cost him, so that we can rise like the paralyzed man.